There's another squad attacking. Welcome to the third party in Apex Legends podcast hosted by myself, Shay, and joined as always by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I mean, we've been looking forward to this episode for a long, long time. No doubt about it. Today we're speaking with the game designer behind the weapons in Apex Legends. If you've been listening to the pod, you know how much of a passion that is for the two of us. It's something that we talk about uh, for an obscene amount of time on a daily basis. Without a doubt. Before we do any of that, though, and dive into the interview, uh, join our Discord community to chat Apex, the third party, and find squad mates. Links in the description for that. And follow us on Twitch at Third Party Pod. We stream Mondays and Wednesdays, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. PST. We'd love for you to come say hi on our trip to partner. Last weekend, we just had the most epic subathon where you guys helped us stream for 13 hours. It was fantastic. Thank you all so much. We hope to do it again next month. It was a blast. I think I didn't even feel it. You know, sitting in the chair, my eyes got tired a little bit near the end, but I think I can go the distance. I didn't even feel anything until we started playing Anno 1800 at the end because <laughs> I just had to lock in for that game at an obscene pace. It was designed to be a little chill at the end, but it didn't turn out that way. If you'd like to support the podcast and continue to grow our amazing community, please consider joining our Patreon. You can receive up to four bonus episodes per month, exclusive merch, signed replica weapons, gaming sessions with us, and much, much more. It really means the world to us how much support we've received. And if we reach our next goal, we'll be launching a live video podcast. So stay tuned for that. With that in mind, let's throw it to our interview with David Bosek. We are beyond excited to be welcoming to the show a game designer that helps put the great guns of Apex in the hands of all the players. He has prototyped, ideated, and been a part of shipping new weapons for seasonal updates. Having earned multiple degrees from MIT, he is now part of the amazing team at Respawn that has created the best BR weapon balancing in the industry. Welcome to the show, the man with a weapon in his namesake, David Bocek. Thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's a team. It's a team effort by all means, as as anyone will say. But thank you, thank you. Love it. Absolutely, we're happy to have you. We'd like to start things off by uh, having you telling us a little bit about yourself. And has gaming always been a passion of yours? Oh yeah, absolutely. Since before I realized it was a a thing I could do as a job, so I I'm very <laughs> fortunate. It's definitely definitely a good call, and I'm very very happy about it. Um, yeah, uh, I've been playing games ever since I was young pokemon snap was the game that convinced me to read because my parents said they wouldn't read it for me anymore so (laughs) that's how i uh, it was the thing convinced me to read online games were the reason i learned to type and you know it's it's all always been the the reason and stuff um yeah so i've i've been in the industry i think coming up on six-ish years now nice uh i started at bungie i did about three years as an ai designer i worked on a bunch of the stuff for destiny 2 like new AI updates, Red Legion stuff. And then I popped on over to Respawn uh, in September, I believe, of 2018. So before the game shipped, but it was already sort of definitely getting towards the final stages. Worked on some stuff over there and then hopped on uh, weapon stuff mid-season two-ish. And then that's that's what I've been doing ever since. Awesome. You find, yeah, so you're now at Respawn, game designer for Apex Legends, like you said. How do you explain to people what your specific role is there? What do you do at Apex right now? 
in terms of like the, you know, what am I typing and making exist at any given point, that, that varies a lot day to day. But I think as a game designer, your your primary goal and your primary responsibility is to sort of really think about everything through the lens of player experience and try mm-hmm. and create exciting new things that will make players, you know, more engaged and, and bring them back and make them happy. And then also consider ideas that everyone else has and, and sort of put them in a, into the game in a way that will work and, and sort of pay attention to those things. I think it's a, it's a misconception that game designers are like the idea people. We're like, mm. we just come up with all the cool ideas. And by all means, we all have lots of ideas, but ideas really come from everywhere. You know, good ideas are, are very rarely like one person's brainchild. They're sort of the culmination of everyone's feedback and everyone's ideas. And as a game designer, your job is to sort of filter them and adjust them and you know, find out what's cool about them and then maybe phrase it a little different so it's better for the game, stuff like that. Um, but day-to-day, you know, it's it's a lot of always working on whatever the next weapon thing is, looking at balance, uh, you know, any anything new for the seasonal stuff, like new hop-ups or any adjustments we're going to do. I've done some loot stuff in the past and some 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 good and, and not good adjustments. I, I did the... the <laughs> The evil armor only and the reduced mm. armor values. Oh man! So, so kind of a win and a loss at the same time. <laughs> Love there it. There you go. Yeah, as a as a player and a creator around the game, it's definitely sounds like a cool role to me. I think that you have a quite cool title and a nice day to day in terms of just game impact. Oh yeah, it's a great time. But maybe the most important question of the day, obviously a new weapon has been named after you, the Bocek Bow. Can you share with us the story behind having a weapon named after yourself? Oh, yeah, that was that was a funny one. So we we were coming up on sort of the, the, the green pasture of new stuff. So when, when I came in, the charge rifle was already sort of mostly done. I sort of helped solve some late issues and, and make sure it was, you know, ready for the finish line. Mm-hmm. And the Sentinel had its sort of model and and weapons take a long time to make you know people talk about characters take a long time weapons don't take as long as characters but they still do take quite a while so the sentinel had already had its model and some initial animations built when we're going into season four so you know i I worked on it i built in stuff but it definitely wasn't sort of from the ground up and then we were from the ground up everyone was talking and we had um a bunch of different ideas we made some prototypes and something that uh one of our, our model shop people, our 3D artist, was excited about was the concept of a bow. And I was like, that's really cool. I want to make a bow. That sounds awesome. So mm-hmm. we started working on it and prototyping it. Um, and then our our audio deadlines for voiceover, for voice recording, are pretty early. Uh, a lot of people, you, you'll, you'll probably notice a lot of time hop-ups come out and then uh, legends don't have a voice line for them. Mm-hmm. And that's because hop-ups will often get designed like, in the space, if a hop-up's going to come out season 10, it'll be made after season 9, whereas uh, if you want something to have voice recording for season 10, you have to have the name of it ready by I think, like, you know, before season 8 or something like that, because there's only so many times they can get the voice actors in. Yeah, so... Uh, I'm not great at naming things in the, in the past people have been better at it, but I, I reached out to our wonderful writers and I'm like, Hey, I just, can you help me name this? And we came up with a whole huge list of names and we had you, we, we were looking at like Hornet and stuff like that. And, uh, then, then, uh, Mo, who's the, the lead narrative guy at the time, Muhammad Alavi, he just messaged me on Slack and said, 
hey, what if we called it the Bocek, but we pronounced it like that? Because my, my last name is Bosek, but I I really it goes by either. But he was like, this this sounds better for VO. Let's do it. And I said, I don't think that's a great idea. I think it's a pretty bad name. We should also <laughs> record Hornet and a couple other things just in case. We re- we record a ton of different stuff just in case, right? Okay. So we have tons of hop ups that have lines recorded that were just like maybe an idea or a prototype, and we just had to mm-hmm. throw it in. It's easy enough for them to say it. It's just you know you got to get it in in time. So it's better to be safe than sorry. I love it. I love it. That's so cool. That's such yeah, a great little story. And awesome to hear about the process that goes into naming these weapons and hop-ups. So interesting. Yeah, um, next question, we're going to talk a little bit about recoil. And it's kind of what we think is the X factor. And it's difficult to account on paper uh, for, but we all know that it can change a lot when it comes to weapons. We've seen tweaks over the seasons to recoil patterns. How do you guys use recoil to define weapons and balance them against others? I would say, um, so when we're we're looking at recoil for adjusting recoil, anything like that, we're always sort of examining, I I would say there's sort of three main axes. There's there's the usability axis, how friendly is it to use, how easy is it to learn, how does it feel, you know. There's the, the range and control axis of, how how far should the range of this weapon be? And then there's sort of just the... It's hard to just... I, I think feel is a good word for it, where it's just the weapon should feel like its identity. Mm-hmm. And it, it's hard to sort of explain that exactly, but I think in, in certain weapons, like, say, the Spitfire, you'll notice, like, it has a pattern, but it kind of jitters a lot more, and it chunks around a lot more, and I think that gives it this feeling of vibration, and it makes it feel a lot more like a big LMG than something mm-hmm. like the R301, which has this very smooth sort of, you know, sweeping yep. sweeping fire. And So we, we've, we've adjusted them for different reasons. We've adjusted them for reasons on each of those in the past. Um, so, for example, one of the first things I, I did was we increased the recoil pattern randomness, on the 301 and we touched the, the prowler and the r99 as well and recoil randomness it, it sounds scary because it's the word random but the the basic idea is at each step of the shot you have the the pattern distance it's supposed to go in the direction and then there can be slight randomized alterations to it so the idea is even if you're controlling the pattern perfectly every time it's still gonna move around a little bit and that's one of those range things right like there was a big issue i think around season two or three where the r99 was just lasering people at distances it wasn't supposed to be able to and and we really want to enforce range because we have a general trade-off between um mobility and accuracy and a trade-off between range and like damage or, or time to kill and so the close range weapons are generally the ones that you can be the most mobile while shooting because you're mm-hmm. closer range and they're also the weapons that are going to kill people the fastest because closer range, right? Mm-hmm. And so when something like the R99 can outrange ARs or can fire at the range of ARs with the accuracy, then it just has the upsides of, well, you can move so much that it's really hard for other people to hit you. It does enough damage that why would you ever run a flat line if just the R99 can hit you? Um, and the other, the other thing we, when we look at nerfs and buffs is we really want to target the problem areas because most of the time weapons are problematic or you know need help in certain skill groups so for example the the r99 lasering people that wasn't really a problem outside of 
the upper echelon of skill groups, the people who had really mastered the recoil pattern. Mm -hmm. And so stuff like we could reduce the damage, we could do all this sort of stuff, but that affects everyone in a sort of equal way. Whereas stuff like recoil randomness, that only really starts to impact you when you're someone who's mastered the pattern. And so that, that was targeted at, at that sort of direction. So we've, we've had, you know, nerfs from range and stuff like that. We've also had changes that I've just wanted to do for feel sake. Uh, going into Apex Legends, there was a number of patterns that sort of had this back and forth S shape. They're kind of mm-hmm. just a squiggly side to side, like the early L-Star had that. I think the, the early Havoc had that. And it's it, we found it's just really difficult to control, and it feels really odd and sort of sway. I would say people generally can get the concept of controlling a recoil pattern when you can break it down into first its sort of big macro movements. So like the R301, you pull down into the left, mm-hmm. and then it, you know, you're going to pull to the right, or if you're real good, you it has this little tiny scoot to the right before it starts going left, and, and you can sort of learn these these moments and these movements. When things transition sort of slowly and gradually from one kind of movement to another, it's really hard to pick out and identify, ah, oh, did I start going right too early? Did I start going right too late? Did I start going right at the right time, but I ramped it up too quickly? And so the side-to-side movement of those S-curves is just pretty darn uncontrollable for most people and it's uncontrollable in a way that doesn't feel like you can get better at it one of the really important parts of of mastery and skill is players need to be able to tell where they need to improve Mm -hmm. and and that visibility is often a really big hang up for stuff where it's like ah this has so much mastery it's like yeah but no one can learn how to get better if they don't go on the internet and most people don't do that so fascinating yeah there's there's we, we try and avoid updating recoil patterns too drastically when possible in terms of their motions and stuff because people have spent a long time getting the the muscle memory and learning how to control these we don't want that to be completely wasted so Mm -hmm. i'm just kind of leading into a bunch of stuff here so if i'm rambling on for a bit but it's just kind of there's a lot to say there's a lot to say in terms of recoil and it's clear to us that there's a real art uh in the design process and then that translates directly to the mastery as you were discussing um But to move things along here, in terms Mm -hmm. of assault rifles, I think the majority of players would likely agree that the R301 is the dominant full auto option. But there's also a sizable group that would argue for the flatlines power. How Mm -hmm. would you compare those two weapons? Uh, I would say the, the, the way we've sort of tried to position those two is that the R301 is a lot friendlier. I think Mm -hmm. the R301 is sort of the gun that if you're a brand new player, you can pick up and start to understand and use. And we've talked about sort of nerfing that the recoil controllability and and trying to touch that aspect of the R301. But I've always wanted to hold on to that idea that there is this very sort of friendly, straightforward gun that a new player can pick up and be like, oh, I can I can kind of use this one. You know, that, mm-hmm. that moment where you're like, oh, I, I can kind of get this gun. And that's that's what keeps you in long enough to start learning about other guns. The flatline, I think, in contrast, has a much more difficult to control uh, recoil pattern in general. It has this, it has a back and forth and then it goes back to going vertically, which is hard for a lot of people to, to take. The the yeah. R301 and the R99 have this like pull down and then when you're done pulling down, it kind of goes side to side. But if you're a new player, all you have to know is like, I pull down and then it kind of moves around a bit. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and you can you can sort of do well enough. Yeah. Um. So I would say the R301 has always had power because the, the skill level at which you can just really beam people and control the recoil 
on that weapon is lower than the skill level required to master most guns. So I think there's a, there's a broad skill range where people are going to get lasered by this gun and no other guns because that's the gun everyone can see. The skill floor of controlling that gun is mm-hmm. a bit lower. Um, I think the flatline on paper is is slightly more powerful. Mm-hmm. And Certainly. So I think that the upper echelon of players are, you know, some stronger players. And this isn't exclusively true because you can start talking about headshots and stuff. But the flatline, if you can control it, theoretically kills people a little bit faster. But like I said, harder to control recoil. It's a heavy weapon, so the projectiles are slower. It means it's a bit harder to lead. You know, it falls off a bit faster. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also is a gun that doesn't take barrel stabilizers. So you can't really negate that recoil problem as a new player with loot. It's there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 there and you have to deal with it and it's a slower firing weapon which i think also affects new players a little more i like that i like that yeah yeah well it, it's it makes a lot of sense you you have i like that you are pro keeping a gun like that in the game because that seems like it's healthy for newer players and people that are maybe not as good at the game they can still enjoy success and that's good for everyone yeah Next question, I guess, we mentioned it a little bit, talked a little care package, but can you tell us a bit about what goes into a weapon being put in the care package or not? Uh, For a while, we thought it was kind of a balancing tool for guns that hit the more powerful side of the spectrum, Uh, but lately it was described to us as a tool to keep the loot pool fresh. Where do you kind of stand on it, though? Uh, The original usage was mostly to kind of keep the loot pool fresh honestly because i think the first weapon that came out was the l-star right yeah yeah and we were we were real worried season four wouldn't have enough interesting change up enough stuff in it especially after the new map release like we gotta we gotta get something in here um and so pulling a care package weapon onto the ground that had never been on the ground sort of kind of feels almost like having a new gun because most players don't get to use care package weapons super frequently. Um, so th- that was part of the drive for the L-Star. Like, oh, it's got enough, you know, it's got enough personality on its own, especially if we remove the reload and it just sort of has this persistent firing thing. Like, maybe that's great. And then we looked at the Mastiff and said, oh, well, you know, seems like an easy, easy analog. But it just sort of turned out to be a successful way to sort of shake things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um. I I wouldn't say it's something that we're guaranteed going to do every time. Um, totally. For example, we we put the R three or the the R ninety nine into the care package mm-hmm. and pulled it back out, and that wasn't necessarily the intention. We just kind of got our our wires crossed and you, you know miscommunication and stuff. But like <laughs> we put the R ninety nine in, and then for I think it was season seven, I wanted to leave the care package alone for a season, but. The reactive art, the reactive skin for season seven was the R99. It's like, well, we can't have the reactive skin be a care package weapon, so yeah. we should, should get it out there. Um, it is it is used for for balancing in some places. I think it's also used for sort. Ideally, each weapon sort of has its own unique space that it lives in, and sometimes certain areas might feel like they get a little too crowded, or we, you know, you might need more interest on something. So the idea of taking a gun that's not usually that used and putting it in the care package and making it really strong can be exciting. Mm-hmm. Now you're, you're using this gun in a different way. It feels different. Um, and that's also the reason stuff like, why has the Kraber never come out of the care package? It's like, well, well, 
The Kraber's whole identity is that it one-shots people in the head, and it has really, really slow rechamber stuff. Like, so we could reduce its damage and make the rechamber faster, and then it's just the Sentinel. Yep. (laughs) So, like, where where does it, you know? It's a balancing act. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I would say... I would say it's it's definitely both at this point, where it is sort of a a balancing tool and a way to sort of adjust adjust the loot pools, you know, slightly. And it's a case that, by that case helps. basis. It sounds yeah. a little bit like, yeah, yeah, and it does help to keep things fresh. That that mm-hmm. is something that we we definitely keep an eye on. Something that I, I'm sure people w- would notice is stuff like, why did you buff this gun? It was fine, and a lot of the times. It's not explicitly the goal, but we do try and I, th- I think it's it's sort of a folly to try and have this perfectly balanced, stable, consistent meta for too long. I think it can get pretty boring and, and people can get a little bit fatigued when the same weapon is, mm-hmm. you know, in charge the same time and the same powers are at the same time. And so it's definitely been like, hey, this season, like the hemlock's always been okay. What if the hemlock was pretty good? Mm-hmm. What if the hemlock was like a gun you really wanted to use? There's a ton of people who never pick up the hemlock. That could that could be interesting. Maybe it makes sense with the new map update to have longer range engagement, stuff like that. So we sort of do push and prod things a little bit. Obviously, we never want anything to be super broken, overpowered, and that has happened. And we never <laughs> want to nerf things into the ground, and that's happened. But yeah. Yeah. One of the things that Shay and I are really curious about is how hop-ups are approached. We've seen hop-ups come in with massive impact, like the anvil, uh, but we've also seen the same rarity have maybe less impact, like the skull piercer. We've mm-hmm. also seen hop-ups be removed from the loot pool, but integrated into weapons with a toggle option, but not always. So can you tell us as much as you can about the hop-up process? Sure. The, the hop-up process has changed a bit because way back in the beginning, I was the only one doing weapons design stuff. And, and we, we've we've gotten a lot more people. Respawn Vancouver has started helping out a lot mm-hmm. more. We have more really amazing new designers working on weapons. And, and everyone has sort of their own ideas. Early <laughs> on with stuff like the double tap and the anvil receiver, it was... You know, in the early days of Apex, it's like, oh god, how can we get enough stuff in this season? And everyone was was so busy and, and full of work all the time. For me, it was, what hop-ups can I make that require zero audio, zero effects, zero art? Like, what can I do by myself that no one else needs to touch? And so stuff like the double tap is like, oh, I, I can make that work. These guns already have the proper audio for it. Stuff like the anvil, I can just use the single shot. I can reuse these tracers. This is the stuff we can do. Unfortunately there's not too much more and as as you as we also had with the with the uh crate weapon changes is these are these are not infinite wells of stuff you can do you mm-hmm. know what i mean you start running sure. into like ah well what can we do and i think the quick draw holster was another sort of like can we get something in that that doesn't require too much in the way of of other departments work because they're pretty busy and you know some of them are more more and less successful cuz certain axes work and certain axes don't i think the android receiver is an interesting one because for some people it was really impactful for some people it really wasn't mm-hmm. kind of back and forth in terms of rarity a lot of that is a balancing act between the the power of the hop-up the sort of necessity of the hop-up like what weapon it goes on and how that works and what other hop-ups are available we really don't want 
we're very cognizant of the fact that hop-ups are like the one loot item that you can't tell what it is until you run up on top of it. And we've been looking for, for ways to solve that and we're still working on it. But uh, we definitely don't want four gold hop-ups and one purple or, or five purple hop-ups and, and one gold. Um, so it, it sort of depends. I think with the double tap and the anvil, it was the anvil was a lot more meaningful with a little bit of extra power. And so pushing it up to that level. And then also we, we could keep a good balance of, of gold and purple. There are certain hop ups like, uh, the, uh, turbocharger, which the whole design, I think of a weapon like the devotion is that it, it has this really huge power curve. A, a completely unkitted devotion is very totally. weak, but a completely fully kitted devotion is one of the strongest guns in the game. And so this idea of, you know, well, the, the one real piece that it really, really wants being rare adds more of that interesting moment of like, oh, I found a turbocharger. I may actually look for a devotion. Do I want to pick up a devotion? I'm not sure if there'll be a turbocharger. Mm-hmm. You know, if they were everywhere, it's a lot less interesting. So, Super interesting. I guess uh, the, the most asked question we get sometimes, and you may not be able to answer this for us, David, but uh, are we going to be getting Disruptor Alternator back in the game anytime, maybe in the care package, <laughs> maybe? <laughs> I think for me, and, and you know, I know I know there's disagreements and we, we do talk about this time, time eternally. We've, we've tried a few times. I think the Disruptor needs sort of a redesign, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I think when the Disruptor came out as a pair with the Hammer Point, it made a lot of sense. We have a gun, we have one that's really good against shield and one that's really good against body. And we're going to put them on weaker guns and they're going to have this benefit. But there's, there's something really important in the distinction there. And I think... First of all, that the Mozambique and the P2020 are weaker in general than the Artillator, right? Um, And then also, the the difference between bonus damage to shields and bonus damage to health is really sort of this core human-feeling one. And what I mean by that is, when people in a shooter are shooting at someone, right, you sort of have your brain that's solving the macro decision of, should I move? Should I reload? Should I heal? Where should I go? What am I going to do? And then when you start to ADS and shoot at someone, you, you enter what I like to call the lizard brain, which is like, you're really, it's hard, you know, you're, you're trying to just aim and fire at someone. And you'll uh-huh. notice that up until really high levels of play, it's really hard to rip people out of that. Once they're down in that, like, I'm trying to shoot at this person until their gun runs out of ammo and they need to reload or, you know, something else forces them to pull out of it. They kind of tunnel onto whatever they're aiming and shooting at. And the, the big thing there is that if you give a weapon bonus damage to shields, it still works fine against the body. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't really get the behavior that was intended with these hop-ups, which is shooting and switching weapons. Like, sure, it may technically do faster DPS to, to shoot, break the shield with an alternator and switch to another gun, blah, blah, blah. But... It just feels really bad. People don't want to do it. And there's also just the reality of like the numbers don't work out super well in that like the amount of time it takes to swap weapons is very, very considerable in relation to the TTKs of guns and Apex. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So it's almost we would have to make the damage to body decrease super substantially or the gun would have to be really bad at base in order to make it even worth swapping weapons. So we, we were always like, ah, the, the, the Disruptor Runs didn't really accomplish their goal. And we could 
nerf them to the point that it was functional, Mm -hmm. but then it's not really doing anything interesting. It's just you have an alternator and sometimes it does more damage, but you're never playing any differently. The the, the one case that, that was sort of problematic that we had to worry about too is generally people are always on shields health especially mm-hmm. because shield batteries are the fastest shields you know people people fall back and fall forward people usually aren't at body health and that means the alternator was able to output really really significant damage maybe not in terms of downing one person but in terms of like total damage to the enemy team so people who are smart and good could just shred all three people's shields with their alternator and then their other teammates could just clean them up or force them to back off Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of other subtle things there too like i think having your shield broken is one of the big noticeable things to happen to you it's it's one of those oh my god i need to fall back so even if under the hood the alternator does little enough damage that you can still fight it you get your shields broken so fast like i'm losing this i gotta bail yeah so we we need to figure out something to do with the disruptor rounds that makes them I think better gameplay and sort of solves some of those, those problematic cases. And then as we sort of pushed to have the guns be better overall, you know, at first we had this big loot distribution and certain guns were a lot weaker and then certain guns were a lot more powerful. We, we've tried to slowly pull up everything, right? Like mm-hmm. I think the alternator is not going to be used to pro games anytime soon, but for a very good cohort of people, it's a perfectly acceptable SMG, you know, the, the 0.1, 0.2 seconds TTK drop you're going to have doesn't matter compared to its larger magazine. It's more controllable recoil. Mm-hmm. I think there was a little bit of uh, optimism there, but I think it, it sounds like the use case of the disruptor rounds was just not very healthy to the game. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and to make it balanced, it, then it just wasn't interesting. Not as fun. Yeah. yeah. Now, here's one that we need your help with. Can you convince us to use the Havoc? Many players in our community speak highly of this weapon, but the charge up and the recoil, giving it a limited range, make it difficult for us to choose the Havoc over any other AR. Even with the turbocharger, we'd still prefer the Devotion. Yeah, I think the... It's in a bit of an odd spot. It's definitely on the weaker side right now. Mm Mm-hmm. It had its moment in the heyday. I don't know if you remember. Oh, we remember, remember, David. (laughs) We were screaming it from the rooftops. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I know. It it was funny because it was one of those things. It's one of the the great examples that I give to people as as they're working on stuff where I talk about responding to early balance is really difficult because Mm -hmm. sometimes something comes out and for, you know, the first week everyone's screaming, oh my God, this is broken or this isn't good enough. And it's it's easy to react too quickly sometimes. So my example was always, and this isn't entire. there were some people who were, who were on the money early, but when when I did the Havoc, the, fr- the first time it got really nuts was because the recoil pattern got adjusted from that, that spinny to a much more controllable recoil pattern. Mm-hmm. Looking back, there were definitely some mistakes there, but when it first came out, everyone's like, you removed the turbocharger. This new recoil thing isn't nearly good enough to make this gun viable. And then, you know, six weeks later, it was the best gun in the game. Like I said, there were some, there were some better people who, who were pretty on the money and, and, you know, more in tune with the game, but there was a lot of just general sentiment of like, ah, the turbocharger has gone. This isn't, this isn't good enough. When you, when you remove something and give something to people, they always tend to overweigh the thing that's being removed and mm-hmm. underweigh the thing that's being given because they know the thing you removed and it feels bad to lose it. They don't know the thing you're giving. They haven't gained time to sort of appreciate it. Um, right now, 
the Havoc's in a tough spot because I think the design of the weapon and, and the, the devotion to some degree is this concept of it has strength in how quick it can kill people with the weakness of needing to engage in fights for a longer period of time. That, that wind-up means you have to you know, commit to your shot, commit to your shots, commit to your fights better. It's not mm-hmm. going to be real good at peak shooting. It's not going to be real good at, you know, weird sort of situations where you, you want those quick bursts and, and yeah. let go. But the issue is that when you look at the overall TTK, it's a pretty respectable amount of damage, at least before, before the damage nerf, right? It, it um, it kills people quicker than other ARs. It kills people slower overall, so it seems balanced. But a lot of that time is that charge-up time. Mm-hmm. And if you're the victim, you don't experience that charge-up time. All of a sudden, you just get beamed with a Havoc faster than you've ever gotten beamed before. So the, the first thing we tried was that like the first shots are going to kick you off real hard. And that's to sort of give the receiving player a little bit of warning. Like, hey, you're getting shot at with a Havoc. Mm-hmm. Um We've looked at like, ah, oh, maybe that, that charge up could be more audible. It could be other stuff. And it, it all just kind of gets noisy and weird. So I think there was some issue with sort of the fundamental initial design of the Havoc, which was, okay, it's going to take two hop-ups. That's going to be really cool. And it's going to have this charge up mechanic that's going to want to do this. And both of those ended up being pretty, pretty untenable in the longer term mm-hmm. that, that, stronger when it's firing but weaker because of the charge up has that issue of counterplay where other players aren't aware of it and then if you reduce its damage so it has reasonable time to kill in its damage then okay well why would i use this instead of another gun for sure because this has the charge up why why even yeah yeah you know i need a turbocharger just to make it a normal gun that is such a tough issue you don't have to convince us yeah (laughs) it's a fine answer let's uh no i I, yeah i i think there are definitely it's it's one of the things I would like to to look at going forward. It's definitely not the, the most pressing one. I think it's had its time in the sun recently enough, yep. although it doesn't feel like the last year happened. So to me, <laughs> it was strong a month ago, but <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's stay talking about some charge up guns and talk about the devotion here for a second. Obviously, you mentioned it. Incredibly powerful, fully kitted. <laughs> Do you think yeah. players have forgotten about this weapon since it came to the ground or has the loot pool just been adjusted in order to decrease the impact of the weapon in the battle royale Hmm, that's hard to say it's hard for me to really stuff like have people not found this or have they forgotten about this is Mm -hmm. sort of a difficult a difficult thing to know like as you may remember it came out of the care package Yes. With no adjustments. Well, and that's kind of like where I think the question stemmed from is it came yeah. out, it went crazy, you know, obviously it was a it was a big deal at the time. And it's still incredibly powerful right now, but we don't really hear anybody talking about it. That was sort of the the expectation I had. The devotion's always okay. been in a weird part because when you look at just pure statistics, like down you know just the data yeah the devotion since the launch of the game has been one of the, like the devotion turbocharger has been one of the best weapons in the game mm-hmm. now this stat is a little skewed because we filter it based on stuff like hop-ups and if you put a hop-up on a gun that naturally means you're living longer which sort of gives it better stats which you know i don't want to go too yeah. much into the sort of the the sort of complications of reading data but when we put the devotion in the crate it was kind of just the same as it was just fully kitted and with a little bit of magazine size and the idea was like 
the devotion is really good, but most people don't realize it. Most people aren't using it. Mm -hmm. And so I think I naively thought, well, we could just pull it out because it's, it is what it was. Like it was never a problem until we put it in the crate. Mm -hmm. So we'll pull it out. And then it was like, oh yeah, people know it now. So it's it's a bit of a problem. Definitely just kind of an oversight. Um, I think, you know, it it got some nerfs and it's, it's at an okay spot. It, It certainly isn't, destroying the stats like it was once upon a time Mm -hmm. and i think also it it, like i said it has such a huge power curve based on attachments you know certain weapons start really strong and don't benefit much from attachment and certain weapons start really weak and benefit a ton from attachments stuff like that i would say just the fact that like more loot has been added to the game the the devotion is really sensitive to loot adjustments more than most weapons Mm -hmm. so the addition of stuff like crafting you know, being able to craft ammo affects guns that are reliant on ammo a lot more. And, and so there's there's all these different facets of the game that can be touched that can sort of affect the gun in a different way. And it's hard to... You can't really react to each one of those because sometimes you, you really just don't know how it's going to affect it until it's in front of a bunch of people and the meta sort of settles. Mm-hmm. And in some ways... Yeah, it, there's a lot of things I think we, we we wish we could touch at different times, and I think there's always some sort of limited, what do we have time to do? Mm-hmm. What really needs the, the attention and stuff? And totally. I think I'd have, I'd have to bounce back with some other people because now we have a whole wonderful cohort of people that, <laughs> you know, we work on a balance, a lot of people to bounce, bounce numbers off now. of. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before, it was just me, and oh, God. But, <laughs> you know, obviously other people in the company have a lot of feedback and stuff for mm-hmm. sure, but... I'm glad you like working on a team. It yeah, can be difficult sure. sometimes, but it sounds like you get a lot of value out of it. Um, yeah. Pushing right along to the other energy LMG, the L-Star, probably the most hyped weapon of this season <sighs> with the introduction of arenas. Uh, this weapon has substantial pros and cons. Where do you stand on the L-Star? Oh, man, I've been trying to make the L-Star good for so long. Because <laughs> <laughs> it came in... It's got some pretty big issues, I would say, that need bigger solutions. I think one of the biggest ones is just the usability. It's hard to see. Yeah. It's hard to see when you're... It's hard for other people to see when you're shooting it. It's hard for you to see who you're shooting at. Like, it just has these sort of feels-bad issues that we don't really want to make it super strong because the game with everyone running an L-Star would just Ooh. be very frustrating because no one could see anything. <laughs> um, we, we've done stuff to try, you know, there's been a couple, there was a new recoil pattern, then there was adjustment on that recoil pattern. You know, it's moved to the ground loot. We, we've done different stuff with the damage and the projectile speed. Um, basically, I think we just need some, some big content updates on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and content times always tough and always hard and it's always a uh, you know obviously if, if everyone could do everything they wanted to do all the time and, and i know it's also one of those things where it's like it's it's sometimes hard to try and argue like hey why should we rework a piece of content that already exists instead of adding this really cool new piece of content yeah that being said i you know i, I don't want to say too much or reveal too much but i know that it's been on the top of our we should look at this gun list for mm-hmm. a while and i am pretty confident that that stuff will be changing awesome. relatively soon we, we've sort of pushed on it and and gotten the right scheduling and time around it so there should be some some new updates to it soon cool it's definitely been the, the big thorn in the side where it's just been this 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 problematic thing that we keep trying to fix and it's never enough and 
hopefully tough, tough we'll, we'll one get, to fix yeah yeah hopefully we'll, we'll make a really big step on that one soon uh next question with the introduction of arenas will this mode shift the way weapons are balanced at all Ooh, this is a big one it's a oh, big we, one <laughs> we've talked about this internally so much um and as with a number of things and i you know this is the reality of things and i know it's it's, it's hard to talk about it here sometimes but a lot of times we have to square the reality of of what we really want and you know what would be the best with the reality of what resources do we have um i would say at least our current decision point that we sort of landed on is we really don't want to enter a mode where we're trying to balance two sandboxes simultaneously okay. we, we really i'm not sure that we have the people to like really let those diverge in extreme mm-hmm. ways um so we have some some steps first we're trying to touch like you know weapon cost how much attachments factor it all that sort of stuff but there is also definitely not a like we're gonna let one of the modes suffer just because the other one it's fine right mm-hmm. if there's a weapon that's really oppressive in arenas but not really bad in br we'll definitely try and take a look at it and ideally again we'll try and take a look at it in a way that makes sense right like why what are the areas that make it strong in arenas that we can touch that maybe don't have a huge impact on battle royale yeah and vice versa you say same with same with br and and arenas and i think it'll definitely be a case-by-case basis but i i expect at least for a bit we're gonna try not to have too many guns that have like different values in arenas and battle royale and the other idea there too is just like the, the the numbers you can touch are are the the knobs you have to tune are really different because what we really don't want to do is have the R three hundred one have a different recoil pattern in arenas and battle royale like well now it's not something you can learn between both of them like why you know why does this gun feel different practice anymore yeah. yeah so you can do stuff like damage numbers because that's that's something that doesn't interfere with how the player interacts with the game in mm-hmm. terms of like their controller or their mouse and and the game but damage numbers are a really really big sledgehammer even one point of damage a lot of people don't realize you know it's, oh, it's yeah. one point of damage how much can it do like oh it, it really makes a difference <laughs> it can do something <laughs> yeah it sounds like the hope is that there will be universal balancing moving forward but it's not off the table to do some isolated things in different modes oh yeah for sure we'll, we'll definitely do you know problem solving in each mode we're definitely not mm-hmm. going to say ah it's arenas who cares or ah it's battle royale who cares definitely not but Sounds we also definitely me. can't promise that you know there's going to be a whole different set of you know oh these weapons work totally differently arenas yeah it's probably not gonna happen works for me i like it <laughs> now has the peacekeeper coming back to the ground drastically shifted the shotgun meta this season um it seems like the eva is sort of the the winner right now yeah yeah. in a lot of ways the the peacekeeper got some pretty big nerfs coming back to the ground because the peacekeeper going into the crate was uh a way to solve the peacekeeper temporarily because the peacekeeper was like a really loved but also really hated weapon yeah Yeah. and and again there's a lot of things you you sort of learn as the game evolves and learn as the game plays and you know you have these ideas for how things work or it's always impossible to know 100 percent whether some design concept or idea is going to work and the peacekeeper is really cool it's it's this the fantasy of it's this big chunky explosive one shot long reload you know it's got that fantasy but especially at high level play that's a fantasy for me david 
oh, it's it's great. It's really cool. And the, the thing is, we don't want to lose that fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. And so we could make it fire fast, fire a lot faster and do a lot less damage. You know, we could make it an Eva, but then it's not the Peacekeeper anymore. But that identity has had some problems we had to deal with. Namely, um, because the the time penalty you pay for shooting comes after the shot and can be done during other actions, you have a lot of ways to negate that time loss and make it not really a weakness your enemy can exploit. And then it becomes really problematic. And you see that a lot with like in buildings and Mm -hmm. and around corners, right? I can stand by a corner. When you open the door, I pop you for 110 and then I run behind a corner. And during my whole rechamber thing, when you're supposed to have retaliation time, you have to push into my corner. And by the time you get there, you know, your shield's cracked. You really don't want to, you know, you can get tapped again. So that that's that's also honestly just an issue sort of with the, the concept of shotguns in general mm-hmm. and that's not an issue that means we should you know get rid of all shotguns necessarily i know some people would would prefer that but you know they have their, they have their fans and people got skins now and stuff so yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah. to do stuff like it's that a challenge i think the, the reduction of the damage to make it not to pump most people was pretty significant mm-hmm. i think that getting blasted but not having a broken shield and then being able to push it with the knowledge that they can't just one-shot you, right? It's it's a lot easier to hide behind one corner than it is to hide behind two consecutively, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so I think I think that helps it a bit. And also I think the, the Evo has just... We gave it a little bit of a boost to be the... You know, it's always been a decent shotgun, and I think this was the time where, like, hey, the Mastiff's been strong, the Peacekeeper's been strong. We would really like to not have the Peacekeeper go back to the ground and it's just the only shotgun people are carrying and everyone's running Peacekeeper R9 every game. So I, I think, you know, push up the evil a little bit, give us some time to shine. Love it. I, I Yeah, I, I think that's, a, that's about where we're at. Hey, let's talk about another kind of controversial weapon in the Spitfire, you know. Can you speak to oh, a bit to why the weapon is an important aspect of Apex? It's super versatile at all ranges. Feels like it never stops firing. It has the accuracy of an AR right now. Yeah, we concede it's got some weaknesses still, though. But it's overall just super, I think, popular and powerful. What are your yes. thoughts, kind of, on it? Um, I think the Spitfire is one of those guns we sort of wanted to give its time in the sun because it mm-hmm. had been strong for a while. It's again sort of sort of one of those things where when you think about LMGs in Apex, they're sort of in a weird spot. Yeah, because the most identifiable big thing you want to give LMGs is a large magazine. Large magazines are really impactful, especially at lower skill levels. Even before the Spitfire was buffed, the Spitfire is really great in low skill levels. Mm -hmm. So it killed people slower, but when you're in a game where people aren't killing people in one mag, when they have to reload and you don't, it doesn't matter because, you know, you're both missing 40% of your shots. It's fine. So it always had that power, but we wanted to sort of... It had this weird conflict where... Its large mag size was very powerful at all levels, but especially powerful with weaker players. Mm -hmm. But its recoil pattern was very, very random. The the amount of randomness it had was really, really high. The the number that we had under the hood that was really high compared to other guns is something called random inner exclude, which basically meant when when it does the random roll for plus or minus in, in the different axes, it can't be below a certain point. It always must be this random mm. by a certain amount. And that number was pretty high on the Spitfire. And so for even, it just kind of was held in check by the fact that 
pro players were really restricted. Like you just couldn't control it super well. It didn't have a very high, you know, you couldn't push your mastery on it super hard, but then also low skill players just couldn't hit anyone with it Mm -hmm. because it has essentially the same recoil pattern as the flat line. Yeah. Like, so, so I think we wanted to push that to push it towards that. This seems a little bit, uh, you know, let's give it some room to be more usable and, and weaker players hands, but doing that, we sort of, removed the the brakes on that car you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it has some weaknesses in handling and stuff um the lmgs do in general but it, it's hard for us to we're, we're trying to find a good spot to put weaknesses on lmgs as a concept that feels palatable um in other games and in apex to some degree stuff like the handling is slower the ads time in mm-hmm. the swap time in and out but in general AP, apex really has things pretty snappy in general because we want the game to feel good and things that take forever to pull out in the middle of a fight just don't feel good even if it's more balanced it just the game starts to feel slow and clunky and you don't want to use this gun just because it feels gross Mm -hmm. but so i think we're trying to find better better ways to put weak meaningful weaknesses and strengths on lmgs as a whole i think i would definitely agree that the strengths that lmgs get from magazine size um needs some sort of really meaningful weakness mm-hmm. um damage is is a tough one and one we've toyed with and i think it, it got a damage increase and a damage reduction it was one of those one point making a huge difference thing but yeah definitely very well it, it needs some sort of meaningful weakness for its strength and we don't necessarily want to push back on the well here's this like weakness that just neuters the gun in a way that isn't something you can counteract mm-hmm. Yeah, we're excited to to figure out what you guys decide on um, because I think it's a tough problem, but uh, one that has a lot of options. Now we're going to wrap up with just a handful of questions submitted by our patrons, the first of which coming from Paul. What is your favorite gun to use and which have you enjoyed creating or tweaking the most? um, As far as creating, it was the bow. The bow was by far the biggest thing I worked on. It was... It took, you know, we were, we were making concepts for that at the end of 2019. So it was long, long. It it was extremely, it's a very complicated gun. Every single thing about it was hard, but that was really cool. It was fun to do. And obviously, you know, it holds a special place in my heart. Um, What's weird is I'm not, I, I definitely like the bow and the wingman and stuff. I'm not actually like super duper the target for that <laughs> i think the bow is aimed for those you know like real sort of skill shot type people who want to you know boast about their 100 percent accuracy wingman montage 360 what you know all that all that good stuff and that, mm-hmm. that stuff's great i love that stuff it's it's awesome to try and bring a weapon to, to bring that to those people and it has a lot of flavor my favorite weapon to use i hope to know I've, I've always really liked the g7 weirdly that's Man, even even before heart. we launched. It's a fan even favorite over at the pod yeah. here. Yeah. There we go. Yep, G7 it. life. I'm with you, brother. <laughs> I like the G7. Um, I like the Volt. I like the Hemlock. I've always I've always kind of mm. enjoyed um, having one weapon that I can play a little bit further range. I'm not super great with snipers. I really like the Sentinel. I think it feels really great, but I don't. I'm not necessarily good enough with it that I, <laughs> I, I <laughs> picking it up isn't always the best idea. But I do enjoy using it. The G7. Yeah, so I think that the G7 and the and the, uh, 
the hemlock, which is kind of that almost sniper range. Like for a long time, the G7 was the sniper that kind of pushed into AR range mm-hmm. and the hemlock was the AR that kind of pushed into sniper range. I've always really liked those. The single shot weapons, the burst weapons are really fun. Um, up close, I like the I like the Volt. Awesome. Good picks. Next question coming from G. Uh, asking which comes first, the weapon or its use cases? That's a good question. Honestly, it kind of comes from both directions. Okay. It, it depends on the thing. Sometimes you're like, we really want to make a bow. That sounds like a really awesome fantasy. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool to make an apex bow. And then you, then, you know, I start thinking, how can we make a bow that works in apex? And, you know, my thought from the start was, I don't want it to be a sniper. I don't want it to be a, a long range weapon because those are sort of by the nature of apex going to be less used and weaker. So I want it to be like a wingman, more precision, close range. And that's, you know, how we sort of found the spot there. Sometimes it, it comes from the other direction where we're saying, Ah, we uh we don't have a light LMG. What would that look like? How could we make that interesting? Mm-hmm. And there's there's some cool stuff there. So <laughs> it, it definitely comes from both spaces. You always want some sort of interesting gameplay space for sure. Um, and then on on some occasions, you know, something that I think we we try and be cognizant of is as designers, we always want every new weapon to be this this super unique special gameplay case mm-hmm. and it's got to have enough differentiation like we tried all sorts of different weird stuff with the vault before we were just like what if it's just the vault you know what i mean <laughs> they just shoots bullets and a lot of the times you know we remember that the the subtle things the small things that it's not big on the back of the box but the fact that the vault has a different sound it shoots a little bit different speed the recoil pattern's a little different like these things matter mm-hmm. and, and people are, people will attach to different different guns for different reasons and and that's always great so yeah I, I think there's there's also definitely consideration and we we want to add more stuff too that's like hey maybe this isn't the most wacky you know crazy new thing ever but People will still like it. It's still a fun gun. Love it. Next, we have a question from Sammy. What goes into changing a weapon? I believe legend balancing is mainly based off data because of other interviews with developers, but I wonder how much more the community has an impact in your decisions for weapons. Weapons are are really... They're quite a bit different than characters in a number of ways. First of all, I would argue they're a lot more impactful on the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apex is a gun game first and a character game that... that that uh you know augments the, the gun game totally but also they're they're a lot less restricted right there's no oh you haven't bought this character you you can't place there's no oh only one person on your team can be this character there's mm-hmm. no you know characters work on sort of that upper level uh that that sort of encounter level mental space that i was talking about a lot of the time they spend a lot less time in lizard brain and so people have a lot of opinions on them because that's the thing where they're thinking about it more Mm -hmm. you know what i mean when things happen they're in that space to think about it they're not just a lot of people won't notice when the recoil is bad on a gun they'll just know it feels bad and i don't know why because my lizard brain tells me this isn't good you know it's our job to go in and really find those those nitty-gritty details um in terms of balancing guns data is definitely a part of it data is is really useful i think it's you know I, i even know the character guys that it's definitely not exclusively a data thing. Mm-hmm. What data can give us is some insight and a data point into the the vast, vast quantity of Apex players at different scale levels that don't engage 
with the internet in any sort of meaningful way, right? And it's something that's always worth remembering. You know, like we definitely, I'm always you know, on Twitter, on Reddit, watching streams. We, we have a Discord where we talk directly with, with certain pros and get their opinions and their thoughts. We have uh, events where like, you know, random strangers will come in or pros and content creators will come in and they'll play the new things and they'll give us our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, every every Twitch viewer and every Reddit user and every Twitter Apex follower combined is just like a drop in the bucket in the size of players of the game. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think really that's interesting. To, that, that's to the thing that. that a lot of people get upset about, understandably. I think that they see where they go for to talk about Apex. They see everyone saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why aren't you listening? And it's like, it's hard to explain, but you know, as as a designer, you want to make everyone happy as best you can. But obviously, people want different things. And even you know, you go on Reddit, and there will be some subthread where someone says, "Oh, this gun's super OP. Why haven't they changed it?" And then later on, someone else will say, "Some different gun is OP." There's really not the consensus people seem to think there is. Mm-hmm. Um, Vocal minority people, sometimes. Yeah, and even like it's easy to to jump onto a collaborative we agree this is a problem and not really state exactly what you think the solution is and you don't realize you're disagreeing with other people like you're like yeah we all agree on this it's like no nah, you really don't mm-hmm. you know what i mean very i won't go dive into it but like spmm is one of those big things oh, right yeah. everyone wants something different but they all think they want the same thing well, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole no today. no no <laughs> david Hopefully a, hopefully a quick one here. Hopefully a quick, fun question here coming from James. Uh, David, are you ever going to give me my Prowler back as floor loot? I miss her. <laughs> yes, almost almost definitely. I can't promise when, but love almost it. definitely. I like the Prowler a lot. I've always loved the Prowler. Same the Prowler favorite. was the gun in Apex that taught me that hip fire is a lot better than people think it is. <laughs> love it. Last but not least, we have a question from Lee. Will we ever see a digital threat AR or marksman site? It's something we've talked about before. It doesn't seem... It's something that seems cool from like a, here's a hole, it would be interesting, it would be strong. Mm -hmm. But when we look at sort of how it affects the game, we're not sure we really want it. I think there's fair arguments that things like Bangalore smoke and caustic smoke are already a little too nerfed by the existence of digital threats. Mm -hmm. The way they're a very cool, you know, concept and they do this really cool stuff. And especially when you're the Bangalore and you shoot the smoke and you know, you have the digital threat, that's a really great thing. But as a Bangalore, it's, it's kind of frustrating that when I shoot my smoke down, I don't really know if I'm blocking the enemy Mm -hmm. from seeing me. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not, I'm not really sure. And so I think we, we wanted to restrict that power to, to you know, more long range, you know, the, the, the six to 10 or the, the four to 10 has its own problems. Yeah. And that's something that we're, we're looking at in general. But the digital threat only going on SMGs and not ARs means that as a Bangalore, if I'm 40 to 50 meters away from someone and I know they're shooting me with an R301, I can at least have some some knowledge mm-hmm. there. And obviously Bangalore's not the only one, but yeah, it was just sort of one of those general like, is this really a necessary piece of loot? It's cool to use, but does it make the game more fun for everyone overall? You know, maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's the test that most like things that. 
that's the test that most things fall against most of the time is everyone thinks about what it's like to use a thing, but our job is to think about what it's like to have it used on you. Yep. So it's like, oh, would it be sick if it did this? It's like, it would really suck to, to <laughs> die, die to that. that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, man. That wraps up all our questions, David. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your thoughts. We truly believe that Apex has the best gunplay of any multiplayer game out there. Uh, we've played and we look forward to the continued evolution and addition of weapons for years to come. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Let me let me ramble. I'll give one last, you know, thanks to, to really everyone on the team. I, I didn't make the gun systems. I've come you know, I, I definitely can't take all the credit. It's it's it really is a team effort in so many ways. But thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. What an awesome interview. Always a p- absolute pleasure to have anyone from the respawn team uh, come on by. Anything you want to maybe say before we uh, dive into the wrap up of the show? There was a lot of key insights there. It's always interesting just to try to get into the minds of the people that create the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting. Hopefully we asked some good questions and you, the listener, got something out of it. Totally. With that, though, we're going to wrap it up by answering a five-star question. If you want your question answered on the show, leave it in the form of a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to guarantee it gets answered on the show. This question is coming from Voyager. Hi, guys. Lots of love coming from the UK. Love your podcast. Thank you so, so much from the community for all the time you guys spend preparing content and putting it out, all the great episodes that you do. Me and my friend Casserole live over 100 miles apart and still laugh and game almost every night. So my question is, if you could game with anyone in the world, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Wow. What a great question. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Thanks for the review. It's really cool playing with people all over the world. I think that's something that is pretty unique with gaming, and I definitely get to experience that as well. This is a tough question because I think there's a lot of different answers in terms of who your heroes are, who mm-hmm. do you like to play with. Like, It's like, well, do you want to play a video game with someone that doesn't play games, yeah. but you'd get to hang out and talk with them? Or do you play with like a gamer that you really like? Totally. That's, That's a tough the one. Tough thing. I mean, you can go athletes, you can go politicians, yeah. celebrities, singers, like all sorts of stuff. I think to just give an answer, because there's so many good ones. I think playing Apex with Tom Hanks would be quite a That's hoot. so good. Oh my goodness. I just think he's a great team member. I really oh. he'd be on comps. I think <laughs> I'd have to carry him a little bit, but I think he would try. I think he would try and I think he'd be good. I feel like uh, what about the other Tom, Tom Cruise? Oh, because you know that Tom cow. Cruise will be a pred by the time you uh, have the actual game session if you schedule it out like two yeah. weeks in advance. Like, yeah. there's no say, doubt about gotta it. We got to put this in a Mission Impossible movie, make it a stunt scene. Yeah. I got to train my 10,000 hours. <laughs> if we're talking just gamers, though, it's hard for me not to say like Ninja just because the vibes are so fun and Tim the Tapman also up there. But I think the celebrities that don't actually play games would be such a fun way to do it as well. Great question, though, Voyager. Thank you so much. Uh, On that note, though, thank you all so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Pods. Give us a follow on Spotify. Leave a five-star review with your question. We'll answer on our next episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. Follow us on Twitch, Third Party Pod. Check out the Discord via the link in the description. Thank you so much for listening to the Third Party Podcast. Catch you next time. Peace. Hey, now, another squad coming in. Whole squad down.
not today, maybe tomorrow.